Makers. Welcome back to another episode of Macro Magic with Michelle. I'm your host, Michelle Williams, also known as the Freedom Fairy on YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, all over the internet you can find me at the underscore freedom underscore fairy. And today, I'm so happy to introduce you to one of my friends. His name is Luke Slot. I met Luke a long time ago. Not that long ago, actually. I met him in the early spring of 2018. I was going through a really difficult time in my life with my career, with my health, And I felt like it was a, it was a meeting that was supposed to happen. So during this time, I had been dealing with a pretty serious back injury for a while. I injured it while I was rehearsing for a dance team I was a part of, and it caused me to have to quit the team, I had to stop taking class for myself, but I still had to work, I still had to teach ballet, and it was proving to be very difficult, not just on a physical level, financial level, but emotional level as well. I was also coming to an end of my certification with the Royal Academy of Dance, and that was proving to be very difficult as well, because anytime you are leveling up in whatever way, it's it's a leveling up for a reason. You're put through multiple tests, you're learning new things, and you have to take a lot of criticism. And it's hard not to not to get caught up in the comparison. So on this day that I met Luke, I was dealing with a cold or in macrobiotics we call it a discharge. Basically, because I was under so much stress, I was also not eating in a way that supported my health in the best way. So I was releasing a lot of mucus and I had I had a sore throat and I was feeling really tired on top of dealing with this back injury and putting myself through a lot of stress with my certification. I had just taken a an exam where I had to teach a class in front of an examiner who would then determine the status of my certification, right? So it was extremely, extremely stressful. And at the end of the at the end of the exam, all I wanted to do was go home and lay in my bed and cry. I was not in the mood or had the energy to do anything else but that. And I had already been thinking I had already had this thought in my head of should I leave 
this career in the ballet world. But if I do leave it, where else am I going to (laughs) go? You know, my whole education, my whole experience, my whole passion, my whole life was ballet. And to do anything else, I... I didn't think that was possible for me. I thought, it's ballet or it's nothing. And I kind of thought that this path that I was on could never get better. Because this injury was not going away. It was not getting better. Meanwhile, I still had to work through it. I still had to use my body to help my students learn meanwhile I'm suffering being a ballet teacher doesn't pay that much I don't have health insurance but I'm seeing a chiropractor three times a week an acupuncturist every week it just seems like this is not a sustainable path for me but what else am I going to do I felt like there's there's no end in sight to this suffering that I was dealing with. On top of that, of course, because I couldn't dance, I thought, I I can't dance ever again. My back is not getting better. What hope is there for me? Why am I continuing this? So, on this day, <laughs> uh, my boyfriend called me up and he said that he was coming to my city where I lived and he was going to see our his his neighbor's brother perform which was Luke in a, in a concert in somebody's house in my city and he's like yeah you should come we're all going to go it's going to be great and i thought to myself no there's no way i'm leaving my house today there's no way i'm leaving my bed today i already went through this extremely stressful situation this morning I'm contemplating my whole life and it seems like you know I don't have a I don't have any hope for myself and I thought the last thing I want to do is go out and socialize with people and meet new people (laughs) that sounds horrible but eventually my boyfriend got me to go it was only a few streets away took me one minute to to drive over there so I ended up going and I listened to Luke sing and perform his music and I think it was it was definitely a combination of me being in such a depleted state and then the vibration of his music and the messages he was sending I closed my eyes and I kind of got this beautiful imagery of all different kinds of phenomena in nature it was almost like uh, like I was looking down and there was all kinds of uh, spiraling down changing images of like the grass, the forest, the rain, all different kinds of natural things in nature, natural phenomena, changing and changing and changing. And 
of course, Luke also incorporates storytelling when he performs his music. So it helps to understand the religion that he that he's a part of, the Baha'i faith. And I had never heard of the Baha'i faith until I actually met my boyfriend's neighbors. And I really didn't know a lot about it. But the only thing I knew was that they accepted everyone and that they wanted peace in the world. So I'm on board with that. <laughs> but when I heard when I heard Luke tell the stories of the Baha'i faith, it really lined up with my own thinking that I had just developed to living my life. And of course, with the more recent influence of macrobiotics, peace and harmony and recognizing the special qualities about each person and honoring their spirit, I I really resonated with everything that he spoke about. And after that day, I really felt that I, my whole life and my perspective changed. I, I came to the clear decision that, yes, I have to change my path and I can change it. There is hope for me. And so even though I didn't know what I was gonna do with my life, what steps I needed to take after that experience I knew that things would be okay and that's when I decided that I'm gonna start taking steps to change my path I'm going to leave this job that's depleting me that I feel has no future for me I'm going to change it I'm going to do something else what I was gonna do I had no idea but I knew that I had to leave and I felt confident and okay with that so ever ever since then that's that's a whole chain of events and it led me up until this point and I am really excited to share with you guys today Luke's lot and his messages of peace through the Baha'i faith. All right, Luke. So my first question for you is, how would you describe the Baha'i faith? Well, it's a religion. It's a world religion. Um, I suppose in the grand scheme of things, it's a relatively new world religion, but um, it's less than 200 years old. And really, it, it uh, revolves around the central principle of the oneness of humanity. That's the central teaching of the Baha'i faith. And really, the, the I guess the, the mission of the Baha'i faith is to build unity in the world and to contribute to the broad process of building uh, universal peace and um, 
briefly, the Baha'i Faith was, was founded in the 19th century in Persia, what is now Iran, by uh, a Persian nobleman whose name was Baha'u'llah. That means the, the glory of God. And, uh, and Baha'is regard Baha'u'llah as the, uh, the most recent divinely inspired messenger of God, uh, who has, you know, appeared amongst humanity to, to, to teach us and to help us progress and move forward in our, in our spiritual development. Um, you know, in a, in a long line of these divine messengers, uh, including Jesus, Muhammad, Moses, Abraham, Krishna, Buddha, Zoroaster, all of these historical figures that we that we know today as the founders of the great world religions. And so the Baha'i faith is really seen by Baha'is as the the latest chapter in the this uh, this great uh, overarching story of humanity's spiritual evolution. Awesome. Yes. Um, and what attracted you to become Baha'i? Uh, well, I, uh, I became a Baha'i when I was 21. And um, I actually learned about it from my brother, Mike, who you know, of course. And um, I think there were several things, there were several very clear points of uh, attraction for me as I, as I was learning about it. But, um, you know, I think I, I, initially it was quite difficult for me to, to even, um, really to even approach it because, you know, in, I had grown up in my childhood, I, I hadn't grown up with any, with any religion. My brother and I had had a very secular upbringing which was a little bit unusual uh, in Ireland, you know, at the time in the 80s, 90s, growing up in Ireland, most of our friends were were either Catholic or Protestant. They went to one church or another uh, every week, whereas uh, um, my family, you know, we, we, we didn't have a religious upbringing. And I suppose, uh, you know, I suppose I, I personally, I, I didn't really like the whole subject of religion as a child. And, and I think you know, I think it, growing up in Ireland, there were there was no shortage of of, of reasons to dislike religion because I, I, maybe you're aware we we had a long history of conflict between Catholics and Protestants in, in Ireland. I mean, in, in in Dublin, we didn't really um, have the extremes of of conflict. I mean, uh, as they did say in Northern Ireland, but that was always there. That conflict was always there, kind of on the news in my childhood. So I was aware of that, uh, that issue. And, and of course, as I grew up, um, you know, there was, it seemed like there was one revelation after another of, you know, scandals and, and abuses of religious power in, in the, uh, the, the churches and schools of Ireland. So religion was something that I, I kind of didn't want to uh, approach. I didn't, uh, I didn't um, really want to know much about, but when I was, I guess, 19 or 20, uh, my brother uh, told the family that uh, he had been, that he had discovered this, this faith uh, that he had taken a great interest in, that he had been studying, and that he had become a Baha'i. And, um, you know, at the time I had never heard of this faith, I, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, but over time, over, I guess, the following 
year or two, there were certain things that I, I found myself becoming very attracted to uh, as I had conversations with my brother, as I asked him questions about it, and as he shared with me various uh, teachings and principles and stories from the Baha'i faith that were very fresh to him, and he was just sharing them with, with me, what he was learning. And uh, I guess the, the certain very specific things that really uh, I remember <clears throat> standing out as points of attraction, there were several things. I mean, one one particular point of attraction was this very fresh uh, perspective on religion itself. Um, you know, there is a, a, a teaching in the Baha'i Faith that states that the true purpose of religion is to unite people and really to create um, profound uh, bonds of affinity and solidarity between people's hearts. I mean, that is, I mean, I, I, I discovered recently that the, the, the true meaning of the word religion itself comes from the Latin religio, which actually means to reconnect, like a ligio, like a ligament that, that connects parts of our body together. And um, in the Baha'i writings, it <clears throat> states very clearly that, you know, that true religion must be a source of unity and fellowship and something that actually creates true friendships between people. And that if a religion ever becomes so uh, distorted as to become a cause of of hatred or uh, conflict between people, then uh, the world is better off without that kind of religion. And mm. so, you know, having just been aware of so much of this kind of sectarian division that had gone on in Ireland, this was very fresh to me. It was very um, attractive to see that um, that actually religion in its truest form is something that can be very constructive and unifying and uplifting for people um, and is something that can really um, actually transcend the kind of man-made barriers that we create between each other. So that was certainly a major point of attraction. Um, I was also very attracted to um, one quite distinctive Baha'i principle, uh, which is often described as the, the principle of independent investigation of truth, which is um, essentially a, a, a principle of life, uh, which calls on each individual to investigate the truth of, of all matters in life uh, independently and, um, you know, without prejudice, without partiality, to to search for the truth in all matters um, rather than blindly imitating others. And I think that's, you know, that's a very important uh, principle, especially in terms of overcoming um, the various prejudices that, that that plague society, you know, they're so they're so often based on just imitation of others. And when we actually unpack them and, and think through them, often those prejudices, they don't hold water. And, you know, a little bit of independent investigation can help to dismantle those and actually, you know, come to to uh, to see, you know, the the truth as much as we can see it beyond those those prejudices. So that was certainly another thing that that attracted me. And um, I suppose one other uh, aspect of the Baha'i faith that really attracted me was just naturally the the uh, the Baha'i teachings on music. You know, uh, I guess um, you know I I had been I suppose I had been practicing 
music for from for throughout my my teen years and my childhood um I had been practicing music in perhaps in the way that one practices a religion you know so I had been very very devoted to my musical practice and um when I when I started to read what uh what Baha'u'llah had written about the nature of music the the higher purpose of music the 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 potential of music uh, as a as a as a constructive powerful force in society uh, i was really enchanted by by what he said um Baha'u'llah actually described music as um as a ladder by which your soul can ascend to a higher oh. state of being and i really um you know i really appreciated that uh, that you know statements like that about the you know that the power of music to to really uh, i think music has this power to kind of unlock uh, certain parts of our own spirit uh, that um you know maybe often lie buried underneath the 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 regular mode of, modes of operation in 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 day-to-day -day life but music has this you know this power to awaken and unlock those parts of ourselves and so i really was drawn to uh, those statements of Baha'u'llah on the, the power and nature of, of music. So all those things really attracted me to the Baha'i faith. Whoa. Oh my gosh, Luke. I, that last part that you said about music, I started, like, I have tears in my eyes. I really relate to that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, um, all those things that you said previously about um, how the Baha'i faith doesn't, uh, how it's more about um, unifying people together. That that was one of the things when I first met you and I went to your, your concert in uh, one of our neighbor's homes. Um, I was so like, that sounded so cool. Like it was something I already believed in, you know, because I, I was already um, through my own life experiences. And then of course, because I was studying macrobiotics, you know, one of the main things, I mean, the whole thing about macrobiotics, um, a way of life that, that, that connects you with nature and connects you with the world of spirit is ultimately to have peace within yourself so you can have peace with others and being healthy. That's an essential part of being peaceful. Um, so that was, that was really cool. Um, I also, I also was attracted to the Baha'i faith because of that. And um, also just like what you said about um, music. Um, the reason why I think it hit me so hard is because even before when I was younger, you know, just a little girl, I always felt a, a connection with music, even though I wasn't necessarily a musician or anything like that. I just, it does take you to a different place. I really feel that. And, oh my gosh, I'm going to cry. Um, yeah, I felt like in really hard times in my life, I didn't know what else to do. Or um, when I was going to do some not good things. Um, there's a few, a few stories. Um, but I just, I don't know. I think it's the, I think it was just the world of spirit coming through to me. And it was like, 
just singing helped me get through it. I don't even know. It wasn't like I had a logical thought process that was like, okay, Michelle, you need to sing so you can get out of this mindset. It wasn't like that. It was just like, it was such a bad place that I just started to sing and it helped me get through that situation, you know? Um, Yeah, I'm not going to get all into it, but, you know, I I have struggled with my mental health for many years and it takes you down some crazy (laughs) crazy thought places so um and that's something that I try to I try to talk to people that I work with that also are struggling with mental health and it's hard to explain it it's just like because it's it's a I guess it's more of a spiritual thing you know the spirit is trying to talk to you and is trying to help you because the universe is always trying to support you no matter how you feel like this bad thing happened to me, this bad thing, I can't catch a break. It's like the universe always does want to support you, even in the times where it's, it seems like it's not. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is one of the most important aspects of faith itself, to have faith that, that the universe is supporting you, you know, that, that uh, there are forces at play that we can't necessarily perceive with our senses that are that are you know carrying us through difficult times you know and perhaps even sometimes they you know they give us these difficult times so that we can grow that we can learn important things that we would never learn if life was easy all the time so i think you know that's a really important aspect of uh, of any form of faith, to have faith in the the goodness of the universe. Yes. Um, And um, my next question is, in what ways, since we're kind of already talking about peace, um, in what ways does the teachings of the Baha'i faith allow for more peace in a person's life on an individual and a worldwide level? Well, uh, that's a that's a great question. Uh, probably, I think that's a question that is becoming, you know, increasingly important in the times that we're that we're living in. I uh, I think on an individual level, I I can only speak about my own experience. Uh, I'm sure I'm sure uh, I'm sure any Baha'i would would answer that question in their own unique way. But uh, I think you know, for for me personally. The Baha'i message has has given me a great sense of meaning in my life. And I think that sense of meaning has really been something for me to hold on to uh, through the inevitable storms of life that we that we all have to go through to one degree or another. Um, and which, you know, I think have um, have really picked up their pace over the last couple of years. Uh, it's been such a confusing, chaotic, unpredictable time. But for me, I think that um, you know, turning to the Baha'i writings, the Baha'i message, have helped me to make sense of, to make some kind of sense of what's going on in the world, and that is that kind of helps me to hold myself together in a, a, a time that is full of so much anxiety and uncertainty and, uh, 
you know, often hopelessness. And I think that on an individual level, um, the Baha'i message and the Baha'i teachings have helped me to um, ground myself and, uh, you know, stay connected to the core of my own life purpose and meaning and, um, and you know, to stay focused on that. Um, and I guess on a on the level of society as a whole, you know, I think that, you know, I think throughout history, uh, people have been able to navigate their way through the world by having, you know, a, a kind of a, a different kinds of narratives to hold their sense of the world together, you know, and different cultures and different religions have provided these narratives, you know, some, some ancient narratives that help us to kind of get a sense of we know who we are and where we've come from and also where we're going. And I think in recent times, I mean, maybe, you know, going back a hundred years or so, because of the way the world has, has been developing and, you know, rapidly changing and accelerating in its change, I think a lot of those narratives that have served us well for perhaps thousands of years have been somewhat unraveling uh, under the pressure of all of these changes that have that are you know picking up so much speed over the last century or so and uh, you know a lot of people have either willingly or reluctantly abandoned those narratives that helped us to to hold our sense of ourselves together and so I think that, you know, uh, well, of uh, uh, course, a consequence of that is that without some kind of narrative to make sense of things, then, you know, it kind of leaves a vacuum for a huge amount of anxiety in the world and, and kind of a, even a, a sense of despair or confusion or just uncertainty about what we're all doing here. And um, I, I think that the Baha'i message, it offers a kind of a new grand narrative that in some ways, it kind of pulls the past together and it makes sense of the present state of the world. And it also offers a vision of great hope for the future. Um, and so I think that forming this, this new narrative that actually embraces all of humanity as, I guess, participants in one grand story of human history and a human future, I think that can really be a great help to society because it, you know, by, by kind of making some sense of the past and putting together a united vision of the future can actually give us the space to constructively work together to improve society, uh, even if that means just starting at the level of our own neighborhood, working together, seeing each other as members of one human family, um, you know, that, uh, that seeing, as, seeing ourselves as members of a family whose connections transcend our, our different, um, you know, the, are the differences between us. Um, so I think that that's a, an important thing that the Baha'i message offers in terms of um, 
offering something to society as a whole, um, offering a, a grand narrative of the human experience. Yes, I think, I think I agree. Um, and, and um, also, what moved you to use music and storytelling to promote the messages of the Baha'i faith? Oh, uh, well, I, I think that that came just as something naturally for me. Uh, I, um, you know, I grew up playing music and uh, so that was just something that I, I, I naturally wanted to, to develop over time. And the storytelling thing, I guess, came, um, it also just kind of emerged naturally. And I think it was just, I, I, it was just something that I loved to do. <laughs> You know, I think that um, I think any any artist should strive to create the kind of art that they would like to see or to hear or whatever whatever it may be. I think that's an important um, principle. You know that that you know you, there's something if you're striving to create art that you yourself would love. I think that helps you to maintain a kind of some sort of uh, like authenticity in the art you're creating, you know? And so I, uh, I guess the storytelling thing just came out of uh, my own interest in history. Um, you know, as I, as I started to learn about the Baha'i faith, I found myself with a particular interest in learning about its history and where it came from and the different figures and interesting characters that come up in the stories from the early history. And, you know, the, the Baha'i faith has a very dramatic um, early history and uh, it's full of interesting adventures and different characters and all the, you know, great trials and triumphs that the early figures of the Baha'i faith went through. So there's, you know, there's a, a great wealth of stories to draw inspiration from. And uh, and I found, you know, that I was very interested in those. And it just, I, I guess it just, it came to me naturally that, you know, I, I, I enjoyed uh, trying to tell those stories and share them in my own words. And it seemed like, uh, uh, it seemed like they worked well to combine them with music, that song and storytelling seemed like something that went well together. And, you know, I, I, I probably got this from my parents because my my uh, my father, my late father, was a musician, and my my mother is an actress, and so it just um you know so I I grew up seeing him on stage playing the trumpet and uh, seeing my mother on stage acting, which is essentially a form of storytelling, and so uh, it I think it just emerged quite naturally that I I felt a, an inclination to um, sing songs and tell stories and. Uh, it's actually been, you know, it's been a really lovely experience for me because I, I've noticed that uh, when I when I put some of these stories into my own words, you know, just, you know, I'll, I'll research some history, read some books and then try to put them into my own words uh, for, as you know, as part of a concert to tell these stories in conjunction with the songs as part of a concert. And I, I noticed that when I when I verbalize those stories, I internalize them. And, in, and I understand them uh, better for myself. And so doing these, um, you know, these concerts or on, you know, online 
online presentations where I combine music and storytelling almost like a like a little play. <laughs> it's like almost like a little one man play. Um, you know, it's something that it it helps me to understand the Baha'i history and the Baha'i message better. You know, there's so much I don't understand, but little by little, these things have helped have been very rewarding for me because they've helped me to understand uh, the Baha'i message better. Yeah, I think I think that was that was real. It's really unique that you do that. Um, I haven't I haven't seen or heard of anyone do that before. Um, and when you when you when I first met you and I first saw you perform, that really helped me. I felt like I really understood the Baha'i faith with those stories in between. Your music, of course, is beautiful, um, but sometimes like. If you were just to, if you were just to do the songs, maybe I wouldn't have gotten exactly really what the Baha'i faith is about, you know. Um, so it's nice that you put those stories, and you also have them on your YouTube channel as well. You have um, smaller sections without the music, um, just for anyone to see. But um, I think it, it's a way of teaching, actually, and it's and it's I. Um, I'm kind of inspired now. I'm thinking like, maybe I could do that with macrobiotics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, it, it, I feel like I almost stumbled onto an educational tool by accident, you know, mm -hmm. I, because I, I've realized and a lot of, a lot of the development of this storytelling and musical combination has been thanks to the feedback that I've gotten from people over the years, because that's, uh, you know, that's, just th that's been really the, the key aspect of developing that has been, you know, just through speaking with people and asking them, like, what points did you find stood out to you? What points worked? What points didn't work? Um, you know, over the years, as I've developed these these music and storytelling pro like presentations, uh, you know, I've I've. I've stripped off parts of them. I've added new bits. I've experimented with different songs or different ways of telling a story. And um, it's always, you know, I, I always feel like it's always a work in progress. But the, the 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 most helpful part of that work in progress has been to get the feedback from the people who are actually hearing it and experiencing it. Um, I mean, there, there, there have been great moments when, uh, you know, after a concert, so someone has come up to me and said, yeah, you got to leave out that bit. <laughs> you know, get rid of that bit. <laughs> you know, but actually, and, and then I, I, I try that. I try to take that on board and I try it out and it's great. And I realize, oh, thank you. You know, that has been some of the some of the most helpful bits have been the parts where people have suggested, you know, just carving certain parts away throwing them away you know? sometimes you know it's it's hard to hear that because you know i might inside i might be thinking oh you know i, I love that bit <laughs> but sometimes if i just throw it away it actually gives the space for the whole thing to work uh more smoothly and more coherently and also you know it, it leaves it leaves things for people to discover for themselves but i'm really glad that you that you came to the concert that day i was delighted that, that you came and um, I'm glad to know that that uh, you know the the stories and the music 
helped you understand the Baha'i faith better. Um, because what I always hope is that the, the, like you said, that the stories will kind of act as a vehicle for people to learn. Um, and the music will act as an opportunity for people to then like just sit back and reflect a little bit and digest what they've been hearing in the story you know it kind of just yeah. kind of breaks things up into hopefully kind of a digestible coherent um i guess uh communication of information yes and especially for like people who don't really like to read <laughs> you know or like they don't they kind of they kind of don't want to maybe go out and do the reading online or the research online or get any of the books or it's like just press play and you just like let it play you know um my next question is um can you tell us about the inspiration behind your newest album home of white Oh, sure. So Home of Light is uh, my new album, which is uh, it's currently in the middle of of a slow release. So rather than releasing this album just as one in one go, I decided to release it one song at a time over a period of several months throughout this year. Uh, So this year, 2021, is actually a very special year for the Baha'i community. It's actually a holy year because this year marks uh, the 100th anniversary, the centenary of the the passing of Abdul Baha, who was the son of Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i faith. And so um, after Baha'u'llah passed away at the end of the, the 19th century, he appointed his son, Abdul Baha, to be the, the leader of the Baha'i faith. And so Abdu'l-Bahá was, he, he served as the head of the, the faith uh, until his own passing in 1921. And so he's a very important figure in the history of the Baha'i faith. And he's also, he's also looked to as, um, as a, an example, as the a kind of a, the ultimate role model for Baha'is. So, so uh, essentially Baha'u'llah directed all of the the Baha'is to to look to his son to see an example of really what it means to put his teachings into practice. And so Abdul Baha is, is he's known as the perfect exemplar of all of the Baha'i teachings. And so it's almost like um you know uh, seeing a when we when we look at Abdul Baha's life and um we you know read about the example that he left, it's almost like seeing a kind of a living, breathing example of, uh, of, of Baha'u'llah's teachings in, in a person's life. And so he, he's a hugely important figure in, in Baha'i history. And um, he was also very important because um, by appointing him as his successor, uh, Baha'u'llah assured that the Baha'i community would continue to be united, that there wouldn't be schisms, there wouldn't be um, uh, divisions, that the, the community would remain united uh, and could rally around his son as the, the appointed leader of the community. And so Abdul Baha passed away in 1921, actually just at the end of November. So we're coming up to the, the very the night of his passing. 
And so um, I, I wanted to make an album that was based on Abdul Baha's own writings, uh, which are really, they're beautiful, very um, uplifting, encouraging, uh, you know, spiritually um, uh, inspiring writings. Abdul Baha, throughout his life, he, he wrote a, an enormous amount of letters and books and prayers and poems and um, all, all sorts of things to essentially um, explain in, in further depth the teachings of his father. Um, so he wrote uh, at great length about the meaning of the oneness of humanity. He spoke about his father's teachings on the equality of men and women. He spoke about, um, he, he wrote about uh, his father's call for universal peace and what are the practical steps required to actually uh, really reach that that great goal. He, he wrote about um, the importance of science and religion working together to advance civilization, uh, to work towards both material and spiritual prosperity uh, together. He, um, he kind of, he elucidated on his father's teachings about the importance of education and how education needs to, needs to progress and actually incorporate both um, people's material education and intellectual education, but also people's spiritual education in terms of, you know, education to help people, uh, you know, develop their character qualities and become, you know, bring out the, the, the best in people, really. So Abdu'l-Bahá wrote an enormous amount of, uh, of materials, which uh, I, 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 I wanted to draw on these materials to make songs out of them. So I, I chose several passages from Abdu'l-Bahá's writings, uh, prayers, uh, passages from letters that he wrote to people, um, you know, various texts that I then set to music uh, for this for this album. And um, this was to be a kind of tribute to Abdu'l-Bahá during this this special year when, you know, many Baha'is around the world are really uh, you know, I guess, reflecting a lot on Abdu'l-Bahá's life during this particular year because this of this centenary coming up. So the songs have been released over the past few months, uh, roughly one song every two weeks. And uh, we're just coming up to the, the culmination of this release uh, at the end of November on the, the, uh, on the night of the centenary itself, uh, which will be on the 27th, 27th, 28th of, of November. And that will really mark the 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 culmination of the album release. And uh, yeah, it's been it's been a really special time to to be working on this project during this year. Um, I've been really lucky to work with some fantastic musicians uh, on the album. Um, we recorded it here in most of it was recorded here in Dublin, but uh, there were several parts of it that were that were recorded by musicians in different parts of the world in in uh, in Canada, in the US, in uh, in Tbilisi, in Georgia, um, in Singapore. Uh, I've been working with this really, really wonderful composer in Singapore, Xiao An Li, who has been he's he composed all the string arrangements on the album. And wow. that's really been such a delight and a privilege to work with Xiao An. So um, he's really contributed a lot to the production of the album. So so, yeah, it's been a very inspiring time. 
uh, I feel, well, you know, it's it's been a busy time. And as much as I'm looking forward to seeing the album through to its completion, uh, I know that I will miss this this time. You know, I'll miss being in this project because it's a very special year um, commemorating this person who's, who's uh, well, very special in my life, I have to say. That's so nice, Luke. I'm I'm really excited to hear it all together, and um, also you're going to tell us you're you're having some online things. You'll tell us later um, for us to participate in. But um, also, can can you also tell us how you think that the messages in your new album, Home of Light, how they can relate to the struggles that people are having today? Oh, sure. Uh, well, you know, I, I um, you know, I think that if, if, if I had to, to choose one theme that really runs through all the songs on Home of Light, and what I mean by that is running through the words of Abdul Baha that I've chosen to to be really the lyrics of the songs because they're all Abdul Baha's words. Mm. Apart from a couple which are actually they come from this I think there's two yeah there's two songs on the album which come from uh, Baha'u'llah's own writings but the majority of the album is really directly from Abdul Baha's own words and I think if I were to choose one theme through those words it would probably be um, I think trust in God to, 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 you know, to, to, to trust um, in something greater than ourselves. Um, I think that's probably the, 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 the underlying um, common thread of all of the songs. In fact, that one of the songs on the album is simply called Rely Upon God. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think that to to trust in something to trust that there are forces at play in the world that are greater than any of our individual powers and that are benevolent and that are you know for for all of the the struggles and suffering that the world is going through um which seem to be increasing with intensity in different parts of the world every day. I think that um, to trust in God, whether you refer to God in at that, with that word or with some other word, to trust in something higher that is benevolent and good, I think that can be a great source of, of confidence in the face of difficulties. In fact, you know, the, the word confidence of course, comes from the Latin confide, which means with faith. And so, I, you know, I think throughout Abdul Baha's writings, I mean, he was a tremendously confident person. He, he, uh, you know, he was confident in the sense of being utterly humble in his life, but confident in that he knew exactly who he was and where he needed to go and what role he needed to play in the world. And I think he trusted that that sense of of self-knowledge and the purpose of his life he he knew that it was so clear to him 
that he could navigate his way through the storms that he uh, that he uh, that he was faced with um his uh, you know his his life and this appears in his in his writings it's very clear from his writings that his his life was one of great difficulty um as a as a child abdul baha was um exiled from his country along with his family and he was sent essentially the family was was sent from uh, prison to prison from exile to exile from one place to another um because of uh well essentially because of his father's message and so abdul baha from a young age experienced great uh, difficulty and deprivation but he he always had this foundation of of joy and contentment uh, within him and a sense of meaning in his life that really carried him through those difficulties and you know it's it's a very pertinent question that you asked because i'm sure you're aware a hundred years ago so abdul baha passed away in 1921 um hence the the centenary this year but um i'm sure you're aware that at that time the world was just coming out of another major pandemic and so abdul baha taught in the last few years of his life actually lived through that pandemic and he had lived of course he had lived through world war one uh, you know which happened just before the the great pandemic of 1918 to 1920 and uh, so I, I think that his example of holding on to uh, a trust in a higher purpose in life and a kind of a, 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 a like a benevolent transcendent influence in the world that is good i think can be a great source of 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 confidence for people because i i think um not just confidence in you know we talk about self-confidence a lot in the world today but i think having confidence in the goodness of the world in the goodness of the universe and having confidence that things are going to be okay we're going to get through this that humanity has what it takes to get through this i think that's an important kind of confidence that like we can do this you know to, and and also you know from abdul baha's perspective he uh He really had no um, inhibitions about calling on calling on ancestors, calling on people who have passed on from this world to help us. It's something that maybe in the modern world, maybe we don't really do that very much. But Abdul Baha did that in a very matter of fact way. He acted in his life as if there were, you know, souls. <laughs> who are who are you know who are cheering us on from the sidelines saying you can do this you know you'll get through this you have what it takes you know and i think that that's something that perhaps it's it's hard to really hold on to that but i think that that can really give us the strength that we need to to get through difficult times whether individual personal private difficult times 
or you know the the, the, the huge upheavals that we're going through as as a society at the moment so this is that's certainly I think something that I've uh, found a lot of strength in you know looking to that to Abdul Baha's example of, of of having that that trust and faith and confidence that we're going to get through this it's going to be okay he got through a pandemic and we can do it too yes i i really love um when you talked about how um like having faith with other humans having faith that humanity we can get through it together and i think that kind of like goes back to the original thing of um of that bringing out the best in everybody you know how you said the baha'i faith um wants you know helps us to uh, helps us to see each other as as um like the good in in each of us and i think part of the reason that maybe people today have a hard time believing in humanity is because they they're they're focusing on what are what do we disagree on what what don't i like about that person what don't they like about me and so of course it's hard to when you are thinking like that and only focusing on that of course it's hard to see how are we going to make things work you know so i think that is really really important to kind of one of the first steps of believing in humanity and having faith for you know that things will get better um is seeing that actually they have good qualities you know and that's something in macrobiotics we we say too it's like the bigger the front the bigger the back so like the more the more that you see the more that you see something you don't like about someone there's something that you're not seeing the back that is actually really helpful and really cool about that person and reverse you know just because and that's something I kind of want to help people see me more clearly is like, just because you, you think I'm a happy, nice person, great. But, you know, there's also a bat. So don't be thinking <laughs> I'm a perfect angel. You know, and then one day, one day I say something, you get mad. It's like, that's the back of, you know, that's just so. Um, yeah. And then also uh, how you said um, that you know, calling on our ancestors and spirits, you know, that is so, that is so true. Like, uh, so many people today don't realize, you know, that there's a, there's so many different dimensions, planes of, of, um, reality and consciousness, you know, when we, when we pass away, it's not like you're just in the dirt and that's it. You know, our energy is still somewhere. And, um, I mean, yeah, I mean, just anything in life. And there's so many different kinds of spirits, too. It's our ancestors, but then, you know, there's, um, you know, other other beings and spirits, you know, um, elementals, nature spirits, and different spirits from, you know, from the heavens. There's all kinds of support out there, but just because we can't see it, and maybe it's hard to feel it or to hear it, um, that doesn't mean that it's not here and it doesn't, they don't want to help us, you know? Yeah, it's, um, I think, you know, to, to call on one's ancestors is an ancient, ancient 
phenomenon. And um, there's, you know, there's probably a reason that that concept has existed for so long. It's something that I think, you know, we we uh, we sometimes brush off to our own detriment. You know, it's something that I think is uh, it's worthy of reflection, thinking about. You know, and and I I, I uh, over the years I've I've been very lucky to be able to travel uh, with music. I mean, music has been such a uh, it's such a great gift and a kind of a ticket for for traveling and seeing parts of the world that I would never have seen, and I've been lucky to to travel to places where there are uh, there are ancient cultures that continue to exist, and the people that I've met have you know they've held on to that practice of maintaining a connection with those who have passed on and calling on them for help. And, um, you know, I think in at least in the part of the world where I where I grew up, where, you know, it's the, the pace of life has just picked up speed so rapidly. Um, I, I, it kind of made me realize that, oh, maybe in certain parts of the world, we've we've lost touch with that that element of being human, that connection to those who have passed on. Um, so I think it's it's important maybe to. It's certainly been important for me to to travel to those places. I met some Maori people in New Zealand a few years ago, and they it was they would call on their ancestors in such a matter of fact way. It was just part of nature to do that, you know. It was part of life, so um, that was a good reminder to me uh, to to keep those connections. Yes. And I myself, you know, I was, I was, I didn't even know this Baha'i religion, religion existed um, before, before I met you and I came to your concert and I heard the stories and I connected with it. So I feel like a lot of people don't have to be Baha'i to relate to you know, the teachings and, and the principles, but what would you suggest to people who are not, who are not Baha'i um, to do in their lives to create more peace for themselves? Oh, well, yeah, that's a, that's a very important point. You know, I, I think like you'll often hear it said that the Baha'i teachings are not just for Baha'is, they're for everybody to, to benefit from, you know, um, essentially I, I think that Baha'u'llah, as a as a, a, a teacher, uh, simply wanted to deliver his teachings to the world for everyone to benefit from. Uh, and there are many examples in his own life where people who did not uh, believe that he was a, a divine messenger of God, but they still, still uh, benefited greatly from the things he had to teach them to improve their lives, their relationships with others, their societies, and um, to help them un understand how to take action to improve the conditions of of, uh, of things around them. So I think that's very a very important point that you've made. And in fact, um, you know, you will often hear Baha'is uh, speak about friends of the faith, <laughs> that people who are who you know they. They're not Baha'is and they don't 
see themselves as Baha'is, but they are friends of Baha'is. They are friends of the Baha'i community and they, they work with the Baha'i community to do uh, different activities in their neighborhoods, to help children, to help teenagers, um, to collaborate with Baha'is on various community activities. Um, you know, essentially the Baha'is want to collaborate with everybody, <laughs> you know, um, because we essentially we want to do whatever we can to contribute to improving the state of the world and building more unity and understanding between people. And I, I suppose, you know, the Baha'i teachings, what they do is they they empower people to take charge of their own individual spiritual growth and to take charge of their own life. There's a there's a there's a, a concept in the Baha'i teachings which is, is known as the the twofold moral purpose of life. And so one side of this twofold moral purpose is the idea that uh, that each individual um, is really in charge of their own spiritual growth. No one else is going to do it for them. It's like, you know, no one can do your own push-ups for you. So, you know, that's that's one important uh, concept in the Baha'i faith. And then the other side of this twofold moral purpose is the idea that each person can contribute to the improvement of society uh, through like serving humanity. And that these two concepts of, you know, taking charge of one's own spiritual growth and doing what you can to serve humanity, uh, these both interact in a way that they both mutually develop the other. So that the more that we take charge of our own spiritual growth and, you know, just try to improve ourselves as individuals, the more we will find ourselves naturally with an ability to contribute and to help others and and to uh, to like just to assist others and serve others and be helpful members of, of society and our communities and our families and friendships. And the more that we help others and actually strive to serve society and serve humanity, the, the more that we will find ourselves growing as individuals. So I found this a really um, useful uh, concept, this twofold moral purpose, that you know you, you don't need to call yourself a Baha'i to take that on and benefit from it. It's just a very universal idea that can empower anybody to uh, make the best of their of their life. So you know, I, I think that, you know, one thing that uh, there's one, there's a there's a, a quote that I, I really love, which comes from uh, a letter that was written several years ago by the Universal House of Justice, which is today the, the, the governing body of the Baha'i faith. So in the Baha'i faith, there are no clergy. Um, so we we, we have um, uh, elected assemblies, elected uh, bodies to uh, govern the affairs of the community so or to really to guide the community so these these bodies are are, are simply they're made up of of uh, members of the Baha'i community who are elected um, at a local level a national level and an international level uh, to guide the the communities on those on those levels and they're they're you know they're just elected by community members in annual elections. And so the Universal House of Justice, which is the 
the international governing body, um, you know, throughout throughout the year sends out letters of guidance to the Baha'i community around the world. And there's one there's one uh, quotation from uh, one of these letters which I always love in relation to your 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 point. Let me just find it here. Um, Let me see. Sorry about this, Michelle. Yes, here it is. Um, so they said in one of their letters that every human being and every group of individuals, irrespective of whether they are counted among Baha'u'llah's followers, can take inspiration from his teachings, benefiting from whatever gems of wisdom and knowledge will aid them in addressing the challenges they face. So that's, I mean, that's something I often try to bring to mind is that, you know, if I'm ever sharing some Baha'i teachings with someone, I try to share them with the, really just, um, I try to make sure that I'm sharing them in the spirit that, well, you know, if this is useful to them, you know, I hope that it can help them in addressing whatever challenges they face. So, you know, Baha'is will freely share, um, uh, the Baha'i teachings with whoever wants to to hear about them. But uh, I think something that's important is that to to sort of um, you know to to sort of try to you know like proselytize or coerce people is very much against the Baha'i spirit. You know, the Baha'i spirit is very much about well you know just being open and sharing knowledge that uh, is useful. And, you know, if, hopefully if people want to try it out and, and see if it's useful for them, well, that's that's great. But whether a person becomes a Baha'i or not is really a very personal thing on their own spiritual journey. And Baha'u'llah made it very clear that he said, you know, share these teachings, but leave people free to, you know, find their own way on their own spiritual journey. So I think that's quite an important uh, point to know about. But ultimately, you know, Baha'is want to collaborate with the world in building universal peace. And um, you know, from a Baha'i point of view, that, that really starts with our own spiritual growth. It starts with um, striving to form, you know, genuinely loving, supportive, authentic relationships with the people around us. And um, yeah, I mean, you know, one thing that Baha'is are doing around the world is this um, this work of community building. And so the Baha'i community has developed these this series of activities. There are essentially um, four main activities that are being offered in uh, neighborhoods and towns and cities around the world, which essentially provide uh, educational, social, and devotional activities for children, for teenagers, and for adults. And um, the goal of these activities is essentially like to to form, um, to to develop supportive communities where people really are kind of awakened to solidarity with their fellow human beings, and can work together to like I guess to build unity right on at the grassroots level and those those activities are intended not just for Baha'is but for anybody who who kind of wants to 
do something constructive for their local area. And, you know, hopefully over time, as these activities blossom in little neighborhoods around the world, they will have hopefully a, 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 a benevolent effect on uh, on their on their societies. That is so cool. Um, what did you call it? The double or the dual purpose? Oh, the, is that the, what it's yeah, called? The twofold, twofold purpose. Twofold purpose. Yeah, that that is really great. I mean, I think definitely what you said, anybody can adopt that and apply it in whatever they in whatever way they want to. Um, and it just and it just makes me think once again in macrobiotics how like we can't have like in when we take care of ourselves, when we take care of our our body by um, practicing a natural lifestyle and natural and orderly way of eating, it will then change the way we think and we act towards others. You know, that's a peaceful diet, um, a peaceful way of life so that we can be peaceful with others. And once again, that just, I mean, um, that helps to create a more peaceful world instead of having arguments with people all the time or isolating yourself you can connect more and um, it doesn't mean necessarily that everyone else, you know, has to do what you're doing. You're doing it for yourself. And by act, by treating your yourself with more kindness and it translating to more kindness with others, that's just gonna, it's going to be good for everybody, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of cool. Um, and and my next question is, how do you see the connection between food and health with the Baha'i teachings of, of peace? Oh, that's a great, great question. Um, yeah, I'm actually, uh, uh, one thing I, I love about macrobiotics is actually, which I've learned about from, from you and Tom, is um, uh the, the recognition of the effect of food on our own spiritual, psychological well-being. Um, I think it's it's something that, uh, again, it's something that maybe in the modern developed world, maybe it's something that we, we're not paying quite enough attention to because I think when we really, when we really examine the effect of food on our, on our inner state, it's it's huge you know it's such a huge part of um how we feel and how we behave and um our yeah our inner state is so deeply affected by our diets and uh yeah it's it's actually very interesting baha'u'llah wrote quite a lot about food and diet and uh there's um there's one particular uh, text that that comes to mind which he wrote to a physician of his time I guess this physician had written to him uh, asking, you know, if he could provide any insights about health and and, uh, diet and nutrition and medicine. And he wrote this letter back to this physician and it's actually it's called the Tablet of Medicine. And in this in this tablet, he outlines certain foundational principles of good health. And um, 
you know, when you when you read these these principles, a lot of them they just kind of ring true as sort of common sense. Um, but you know, it's it's helpful. Sometimes I go back to this this tablet of medicine to just remind myself of um, foundational principles. For example, there there are things like you know he he recommends remembering to chew your food well, and uh, you know to that that you know it's it's good to to walk a little after you've eaten to let the 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 food settle, but not to do heavy exercise after you've eaten. Um, he he uh, recommends avoiding any foods that are extremely difficult to chew. Um, he he recommends uh, a light breakfast, not having a heavy breakfast. He said there's a lovely line in it where he says that a light breakfast is as a light to the body. Um, he uh, I'm trying to remember some of the other um, recommendations he makes. Well, you know. He, he recommends uh, first treating disease through food and nutrition before uh, resorting to medicine. But if the food isn't isn't working, then you know do resort to medicine. Um, but it's you know it's interesting that he puts treatment with food as the first uh, measure for for treating illness. He also throughout the tablet he. He points out interesting connections between certain, uh, like the the certain emotional states, and specific organs. Like he he states how, uh, for example, if I'm remembering correctly, he states how anger or excessive anger can have a very detrimental effect on the liver specifically. Um. He yeah he. He also, I think he he mentions jealousy as having a, a bad effect on some other organ. I can send it to you later. There's some interesting yes! things. Yes, I would love um, to study that. Sure. So, so I think that you know he just like with macrobiotics, he recognizes this this uh, this truth that there is you know the there is a very important connection between our our physical health and our spiritual inner mental psychological health that uh, these two are, are really in a sense they are one you know each affects the other wow and i was also going to say um i was also going to say that um that there was a there was a time, I think, did I, I think I let you know, last year, um, when I was reading this book called You Are Also Paku, which I, I have it in my collection, um, it's a book by George Osawa, and he was one, he was one of the main teachers of macrobiotics. He kind of condensed the, the, the understanding of the patterns of nature and the patterns of the universe and how to apply it to daily eating, which is basically just a traditional way of life. Um, Like you said, common sense, but because in that time when he was alive around the time of um, that centennial anniversary that you're talking about, um, he was born in 18 end of the 
end of the 19th century, 1880 or 1890 something. Um, and there was another, I think you were, I think there was another Baha'i figure that was either born on October 18th, the same day that, probably not the same year, but the same day that George Osawa was born. And wow. then, and, and I, and um, I mentioned it to Diane, uh, your sister-in-law, which is my neighbor. Um, and she told me that um, in the Baha'i, you know, faith, the story that, um, that it said that during a specific time period, there would be more people born that would be talking more about the similar things that the, I guess the original, um, was it Baha'u'llah? Was that the first guy? Yes. The one that started it? Yeah. That would be like continuing on, even though maybe they have no conscious like connection to the Baha'i teachings, but they would continue to speak more on a similar way of life. Yeah. What, 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 what's his name? George Osawa? Yeah, George Osawa. Oh wow! Oh, I must I must look him up because I think that there 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 were many many people in many different fields in the the like kind of late nineteenth, early twentieth century who who seemed to be I guess that they were they were picking up on the spirit of the age and they were people who were vastly ahead of their time, but they were picking up on I guess certain truths that were you know certain insights that were coming to them in the, at that particular time it was a very interesting period in history um i think like we're only in some ways we're only feeling the the the, the reverberations of that period now you know they're they're just continuing the major events and changes that happened in the world during that time are kind of continuing to echo throughout the world. It's a very interesting time. So it sounds like George Osawa was a person who was who was picking up, you know, like some of these people, you know, you see it in certain poems that were written around that time. By some, you know, some of the great poets of the world of that time were writing poetry on themes that were very much um, in tune with some of the things that we're that we're talking about right now. And maybe they might not have made much sense at that time, but they were obviously like, you know, they were like little antennae that were picking up on uh, the, uh, the 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 reverberations of that time. So in some ways, you know, I think that as time goes by, uh, things that people were speaking about, writing about at that time are actually becoming just more and more plainly obvious to us now, a hundred years later. <laughs> I, mean, yes. if you look at, I mean, like what you said about it, like a traditional diet. Well, we've, you know, it's like a hundred years on and we're actually realizing that, oh, maybe all this, this complexity of food that we've created isn't actually that good for us. And maybe we, maybe a simpler diet is actually something that would be quite good for us. And someone like George Osawa a hundred years ago recognized that. You know, now we're catching up. I know. <laughs> Isn't it so funny? Wow. And and do you feel this is a question I usually <clears throat> I like to ask all my guests, and most of my guests um 
they come from, you know, macrobiotics. Um, and there's, <clears throat> there's this question I like to ask them, and I'm going to ask you, do you feel more connected to people now um, since becoming Baha'i than you did previously? Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I, I think, uh, well, that's a lovely question. You know, um, I guess very naturally, I certainly feel a special kind of bond of affinity with fellow Baha'is. I guess that's just a natural, uh, a natural experience, you know, of anyone who, who uh, finds themselves with a faith in a, in a, a particular religion will obviously experience a, a kind of affinity with, um, you know, their, their fellow believers. Um, and I feel that, you know, I feel that very, I feel a very strong sense of spiritual family with uh, fellow Baha'is around the world. I mean, I remember the, the very first time that I, um, I met some Baha'is uh, outside of, I guess, outside of Ireland. Um, I was in, I was traveling in Paris and I, I, um, I remember going to, walking into a, a, a Baha'i meeting. I guess I had just called the Baha'i Center and asked if there was anything that I could go to while I was passing through town. I went to a, a meeting and uh, I remember just walking into a, a room full of strangers and, you know, it was like they all felt like family all of a sudden. It was really pleasant. It was a lovely experience. But I, I think that, you know, beyond... Uh, beyond just the Baha'i community, I certainly feel more connected to people in general because I guess my 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 um, I guess my thoughts have changed. Um, I, I, and I, I think that you know my my sense of of what a human being is has I guess been influenced by the Baha'i teachings and 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 um, you know my my sense of well like i guess the purpose of life and and human nature have uh have i guess been influenced by what i've learned from the baha'i teachings and and so you know well there's the, i guess the, the something that the baha'i teachings have caused me to think about a lot is this this concept of the oneness of humanity that was a term that i you know i had never heard growing up and Maybe I still don't even know what that means, but it's something that it's I've certainly felt inspired to think about that a lot and just to try to um, explore what that actually means. And um, or or if if it's true that humanity is one, um, like how how would I view my human beings, my fellow? Sorry, how would I view my fellow human beings? Um, you know, there's a saying in the Baha'i writings, Baha'u'llah said, ye are all the fruits of one tree. And I think that's quite a strong um, image, you know, to think that, well, okay, what does that mean? That means ultimately we're all, you know, maybe we're all in different places, we've grown out of different branches, but we all ultimately share this common root and we all ultimately come from one point, however far back that may be, and that we all remain connected in some way that maybe is too big for us to perceive. 
so it, it certainly has helped me to feel more connected to people, broadly speaking, because, um, well, you know, I guess Baha'u'llah's teachings have, have, uh, have taught me to strive to see each human being as a sacred being as a soul this person you know has a each person has a soul just like i have a soul and uh you know i i guess uh, meeting new people in life and interacting with people having that in mind you know to to remind myself well you know this person has a spiritual nature like me i think whether or not they believe that is kind of irrelevant but but if i believe it then i can treat them in a way i can interact with them in a way that um you know is hopefully uh, characterized by dignity and courtesy and kindness and fairness uh, because i'm interacting with a sacred being uh, with every human being that i meet and I, I think that can only be a good thing. I mean, um, you know, even if they don't believe that, that's fine. I can still try my best to interact with them in that way, and 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 feel a sense that hey, you know, well, we're we're all humans. We're all in this together. We're on this spiritual journey, and we're doing it in different ways. But um, you know, ultimately, we're we're all here to support each other and help each other along through this epic spiritual adventure of life and i think that keeping that in my mind helps me to feel more connected with people um than i otherwise might so i i, I certainly feel that um there is a yeah that's certainly it certainly has inspired me to 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 acknowledge that connection with uh with all human beings and you know even beyond human beings to uh sense a connection with you know the whole universe and the natural world and animals and plants and you know to to kind of I, I guess learning to see the universe as a kind of sacred beautiful um really marvelous coherent creation um helps me to enjoy it and feel connected with it and and um and i guess to celebrate it you know it's um feel you know hopefully feel grateful to be here as part of it that's so awesome yes i think yeah the first the first thing that you said um you know the oneness of humanity right that is, is um, you know, in macrobiotics we say one peaceful world. You know, that's that's our that's our goal, one peaceful world. That's the whole point of why we eat the way we eat and everything we do, what we do for one peaceful world, the the oneness of humanity, and um, and um, also how you said the the imagery of like we're all fruits from the same tree um 
in macrobiotics, we say we come from um, we come from the infinite universe. We all come from the infinite universe. Like that, that's the thing that is like repeated all the time is like, we all come from the same place. We're all brothers and sisters, you know? So despite our differences, um, you know, despite like our different beliefs, we all come from the same place. Um, so it's kind of like being able to see that if someone thinks a certain way that we don't like, it's like, it's not really about that. There's still a, like you said, we're all on our own spiritual journey in this life. And by not like focusing on, I don't like that or they're bad. It's like, that's not really what it's about. First of all. And also, um, I think the, the focusing in on health just helps to see that, you know, a lot of the times we're just sick, you know, the way that if we express ourselves in a, in a hostile way, like just like the um, tablet of medicine said, and just like ancient Chinese medicine says, it's like, that's an imbalance in the liver. You know, it's not, it's not personal, you know, it's not actually personal. It's just, you know, they're just imbalanced. They're sick. And so can't we have more, can we actually have more compassion for someone who's sick and not, then treat them badly because it's like, would you treat someone who has, you know, a fatal disease? Would you like yell at them and kick them out of your house and here live on the street? Like, would you do that? No. (laughs) So like, and, and that's, and that's exactly like how you said, like, if you can, um, if you yourself can view other people, like a sacred being like a, a spiritual person you know just another just respect them for just who they are I feel like that is something I got pretty recently I feel like it just clicked in my brain like maybe the past few days even past week or something is like because I I have a lot of different friends and I'm so thankful I have so many friends that think differently come from a different place you know a lot of differences but Um, And in the past, to me, I felt like I wasn't in a place that I could handle, handle certain differences. And so I would, you know, on social media, block them, delete them Um, in person. I just wouldn't talk to them. I wouldn't spend time with them. But now I feel like I feel more secure in my own ability to see them as as a sacred soul, as another person. And I know that on my end, just because they believe this, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna um, treat them any differently. They're still my friend, you know. They're still my friend from school that we had so much fun doing this this thing together, and I, I still love them, you know. Just because we believe different things, that doesn't it doesn't change the way I treat them, you know. Maybe. Um, I don't have to talk about specific things with them. And even if we do talk about it, you know, I'm in control of how I talk and how I treat them. You know, if a, it's always coming from love and respect, then it doesn't matter what anyone else believes our differences, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, you know, when, when you, 
as you come to know your own self better, you can actually, you can, you're actually able to handle all the differences and still love people. You know, I think if you're, if you really find that, that grounded center in yourself, I think that's, you're able to have a, a more kind of beautiful variety of relationships with other people. Yes. And my last question for you, Luke, is what is your ultimate dream? Uh, well, oh, that's the ultimate question, isn't it? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I feel extremely fortunate to be really I'm living my dream, you know, I, I, I'm so, so happy to be making this music and doing this storytelling. It's, you know, there, when I'm doing those things, I just feel like there's nothing I'd rather be doing. So I feel very lucky to be doing those things. And that's really, that's been thanks to the support of so many friends and family and, you know, supporters around the world that have helped me to develop what I'm doing and to make these these last few albums and uh, to go on tours you know th this has been I couldn't have done this without a, a lot of help from a lot of people so I, I mean I really want to continue to be to do music and I guess just you know under the, the uh, you know with, with with the themes that we've been speaking about in mind you know there there is a there is a, a a passage in uh, one of Baha'u'llah's texts where he he says in so many words that um, that all of his teachings really have one purpose in mind and that the the, the ultimate purpose of all of his uh, his counsels and his sayings and his uh, his uh, the prayers that he has given us to read and the the um, even the different laws and kind of boundaries that he has established for us. He says all of these things are for the ultimate purpose of guiding people to the knowledge of their own true selves. And I love that. I love that line. And, um, you know, I, I really do think that, as I said at the beginning, that that, that music has this really amazing power to kind of um, awaken us to parts of our own selves that we might not always be conscious of. I always feel like music has this way of sometimes bypassing the um, intellect and going to a, a deeper part of ourselves and actually helping us to know our own selves better. Um, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, you know, that sometimes if you've been going through a difficult time, sometimes, you know, you're, you find great solace in singing and that has a kind of a healing effect. I mean, I absolutely relate to that, that sometimes it is singing that just brings me back to my own self if I've lost touch with it, you know. And so um, I guess my ultimate dream would be to, I guess, you know, at the end of my life to have left behind a body of music that can help people um, 
find their way back to their own true selves. That's so nice, Luke. Oh my gosh. Because it's true. Um, all these musicians, all these um, from the past, you know, they're not here anymore. But what is here? Their music. And it's still like, I mean, it's still doing the intent that it was meant to do, even though they've passed away. And I feel like that is a really amazing thing. And especially, you know, you have you have the intention of peace and uniting people like we're going to keep on needing that on this earth way past, you know, you know, so that's so, so awesome. Wow. It's a good, it's a good, good question you asked. I, I need to think about it more carefully. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, great questions, Michelle. Really fantastic questions. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, yeah, I have I have a lot more questions, but <laughs> we'd be here all day. Oh, <laughs> um, but yes. Can you tell everyone listening where can they find you online? How can they support you? What projects can they look out for? Uh, sure. So uh, my website is just my name, lukeslot.com. Um, I, you know, I try to update that as regularly as I can with news. Uh, you can actually sign up to my newsletter on the website. Um, uh, probably the best place to to hear my music is my YouTube channel. Um, and you'll find me on Instagram and Facebook as well um, and Twitter. So all the usual places. Um, one thing I would love to mention is that uh, on Friday, November 26th, I'm going to be doing um, a live stream concert, which will be the official album completion concert. So I mentioned earlier that I've been doing this slowly unfolding release of post, you know, releasing the songs one at a time on YouTube and um, leading up to the centenary at the end of November. So just a couple of days before the centenary itself, I'm going to do this live stream concert um, to celebrate the official uh, completion and really the official release of the album as a complete album. So that will be on uh, Friday, November 26th on my YouTube channel at 8 p.m. Uh, GMT. So for for um, for you in Los Angeles, that will be, uh, I think, oh, 12 noon. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's all. Um, I mean, I, uh, oh, you mentioned, you know, if people want to support, I have a Patreon. You can check that out on my website and learn more about that if you like. It's got more information on my website. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much, Luke, for coming on and talking with me today. You are someone that I really want to help you know, get out there more, just like all my guests, you have a really cool purpose and a really cool message. And it's in line with what I'm already sharing. So I hope that everyone out there will go check out more of Luke's work. And thank you just so much for just doing what you do. We, we all appreciate it. The universe appreciates it.
Thank you, Michelle. Such a pleasure to talk with you. Okay. Thank you. Bye, Luke. <laughs> This podcast is made possible in part by the patrons over on patreon.com slash the underscore freedom underscore fairy, where you can also sign up and become a supporter. You can follow me on TikTok and Instagram at the underscore freedom underscore fairy. You can also join my Facebook group, Sacred Space for Sensitive Women. To get a personalized reading from me, visit my Etsy shop, Not Your Average Card. You can click the link in the description of this episode. Video versions of Macro Magic with Michelle podcast are available for you to view on YouTube on my YouTube channel, The Freedom Fairy. If you like what I have to share, please rate five stars and subscribe to this podcast. Think differently and live peacefully.